Proverbs. So we made it here. We finally finished 1 John and uh, we got here. Give you a second to open up your Bibles. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. Carl, you tell me when you're ready. Okay. All right, let's read God's Word. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king, of, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. And man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It is already, it has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We love the ways in which you speak to us throughout the history, calling different men, breathing these words into men that we might, that we might hear your voice through them. And though we even think about just the different genres, or we can be in Third John last week, Lord, exploring these pastoral epistles, and then find ourselves this week in the Old Testament, exploring this book, this book of wisdom. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would fill us with your spirit, Lord, as we make the shift from Third John to Ecclesiastes, that you would, you would help us to hear your voice. That, God, you would soften our hearts, that we would interact with you at a spiritual level. We'd be guided by you through your word. We would would grow as a result of our time in your word, in this book. That this book would produce its intended effect upon us individually and together as a local church. Give us wisdom that we might see this world rightly. Give us wisdom that we might live out our lives in this world in the right way. Lord, give us your spirit that we would find great joy as we seek to live life under the sun together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when I was younger, I think about the age of eight, 
My dad took me and my siblings sledding. And so I grew up in northern Michigan, for those of you that don't know. And sledding is one of those things you do for about four months out of the year because it snows there. And so I grew up in northern Michigan, and it snowed a lot. And so we would go sledding a lot. And so when I was about eight, I remember this one time. We did this a lot, but this one time has stood out to me. And probably for this reason, just to share it with you so you knew what I was like when I was eight. But so he took us to this bigger hill. So I grew up, there was lots of hills, and we'd go sliding or sledding a lot. And so this one time, he wanted to take us to this big hill. And so we got in, and I was really excited. Going with my brother and my sister, and we were going to have fun, and my dad was with us. And so this hill was, was nice. It was big. It was a great ride down. But after about two times of going down this hill, And having to walk back up this hill, I decided that the ride down was not worth the walk back up. The walk back up was painful. It was annoying. And so the third time going down this hill, I only went about halfway. And then I got off my sled and then I just walked to the top. And I remember my dad sitting there. I honestly, I remember like this was yesterday. It's so weird. I don't remember a lot of things about my youth. I just remember these silly little moments like this. And so I got back to the top and he asked me, what was I doing? And I said, I don't, I don't want to go down this anymore because I don't want to have to walk back up it. Wasn't enjoying this day sledding. And as I think about that experience and living life in this world, I feel like life is a lot like that experience. There's lots of ups and there's lots of downs and For me, the downs seem to outweigh the ups at times. Maybe you can relate to some of these things. I mow lawns on the side with my boys. We mow a number of lawns, and my nephews. They'll yell at me for not mentioning them. But but we mow a, a number of lawns, and we've been doing this for a number of years. But I'm assuming a lot of you probably mow your own lawn, or if you have a lawn, somebody mows it for you, and you've noticed this about it. Like, you mow it, and it looks really nice, doesn't it? just freshly cut. I mean, I take pictures of mine sometimes, and I send it off to my friends. And, but the reason I do that is because it doesn't last, does it? You mow that thing, and we mow these people's yards in our neighborhood, and, and sure, it looks nice, but two days later, two days, most of the time, especially during the growing season, about two days, you got to get back out there and mow. And some guys do it. I have some guys that I know we drive by, and they're constantly mowing their lawn because they want it to always look perfect. Some guys even buy those, um, I don't even know what they're called. They're those mowers that you put in the electric fence thing, and and they're just, you've probably seen them. They're just kind of going back and forth all day long, and it goes back, and it gets charged, and it gets back out in the grass. So the grass is is just always freshly cut, but but a lot of life is like that as well. It's kind of like sliding down that hill, is, is you do something, and you find some joy in it, only to find out it doesn't last. And so we spend a good amount of our time all year long mowing the same lawns over and over again just for them to look nice and then to overgrow and then to make it. And we're just constantly doing this over and over again. Just think about your home for a minute. How many times do you pick something up and put it away only to do the same thing again and again and again each day? You wash the dishes to use the dishes, and then to wash the dishes, to only use the dishes. And this goes on all day long, every day of your life. 
Or if you're a student who hasn't had this experience, have you ever sat in a class and asked yourself, what's the point of learning the things your teacher is trying to teach you? Because deep down you know you're not going to use any of this when you grow up and you get a real job. I don't think that I've ever used geometry one time in the last 20 years, pastoring this church. I promise you, I, I don't. I'm sure we have a, a geometry teacher in here that would say, no, you did. You'd used it for this. Well, I'm grateful to God for that, but I honestly, I don't think I've ever used geometry much in the last 20 years pastoring this church. I remember somebody in my geometry class one day, and my kids will say this as well, raising their hand and asking the teacher, what's the point of all this? And then the teacher, I don't even remember her response, but I think a teacher, how many teachers do we have in here? Okay, so you have to answer that question sooner or later, right? Like your kids are probably asking, what's the point of all that you're teaching us? And, and I'm not a teacher in that context, but I have kids and you got to answer somehow. But this teacher didn't answer it in a way that I can even remember because I don't really would believe her anyways. It didn't inspire anybody to love geometry. But we, yet we have to take geometry. We have to take all these classes. It's just part of the life God's called us to live. I spend a lot of time fixing things. Anybody else in here fix things? Okay, well, the older you get, this is, this is what I've learned. The older I get, the more I have to fix things. And just lots of things that I have no idea what I'm trying to fix. I thought I could fix. So this weekend, my job was to change the lights out in two cars. We have five cars. I have five kids. Everybody's got things, and we're trying to work stuff out. So I had to change the headlamp on a Honda Pilot. Super easy. Just reach in there, turn the halogen light, pop it out, unplug it. It was done in like three minutes. And then the other kid's car, you couldn't do it that way. And it probably took me over an hour just to figure out how to do it, and I had to take off the inside of the wheel well and get underneath there. And I'm watching these videos, and on the videos, these are like three-minute videos, everything works out the way it's supposed to. You ever notice that? And so I'm just beginning to think, they've probably done this a number of times, and they've edited it. They've had to edit it because everything looks good and clean. And so for me, it didn't work out that way. And you came and looked at my hand. Anytime I have to work on something, like I'm missing skin on this hand because of it. And then there was a point while I was trying to fix this thing where I did everything you're supposed to do, and it still wouldn't come out. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just thinking because I'm having to preach a message like this and I do trust in the Lord. I'm like, Lord, give me wisdom. Do something miraculous. I don't know. Like, I don't want to have to take this to somebody. This is supposed to pop right out. I don't want to break it, but I'll break it if I have to. But then I'm going to have to do other things. And sure enough, after about 30 minutes of fidgeting with it, I literally just sat there and I was praying and then I put my hand back up in there. It's blind. And next thing you know, it popped right out. I have no idea why it did that. Maybe because of 20 minutes of fidgeting that thing and hitting it. And I didn't yell at all ever, but I did pray a lot and just say, Lord, just do something. But anyways, I feel like I, I just spend my life fixing things. That I'm, I'm just surrounded with problems and God has called me as a dad, as a pastor, to be a guy who just sort of jumps in and tries to fix problems. And I don't even know that I do it really well. And these problems can be relational problems, physical problems, my problems, someone else's problems. And a lot of times they're your problems. 
that God has called me to jump into and try to help. And as a result of this, there are moments in my life, I'm sure every dad in here can relate, there are moments in my life I don't want to answer my phone. Like I get a phone call from one of my kids, like I'm just thinking, okay, tire needs to be changed, car's broken down, they did something. If it's during the school day, I'm thinking, oh no, please. Like this is just true. The dads just live with this. Moms live with this sense of like just dread sometimes because the reality is we live in a world that's broken. Everything breaks. And as soon as you fix it, guess what happens? It lives for a little bit and then it breaks in another day coming our way. Another thing is how many of you like vacations? That's it? Really? Raise your hand again. I want to see this real quick. If you love vacations, just raise your hand. I just want to see if I got a conclusion I'm going to draw here in a second. Okay, so we've got some guys in here that like vacations. I have a friend, and we wrestle with this. I, I struggle to love vacations. I struggle to love them. I know they're supposed to be these great things, but to me, a vacation is like going sledding when I was eight. It's going to be a great ride down, but you've got to get to the top. And to get to the top, what that looks like is for me to go on vacation, I can't just drop everything. I can't just be like, see ya, here's the keys to everything, I'll be back in a week. For me, when I think about vacation, is I have to work to save money to pay for that vacation so that vacation doesn't follow me home for the rest of the year. And then if I'm going to leave to go on vacation, I have to find somebody to cover everything that I'm doing. I've got to find somebody to fill this pulpit, somebody to meet with people at different times or push those things. And we mow a bunch of lawns, so I've got to find somebody that I can trick, that I can trick into hauling all of our lawn equipment around for a week, typically in July, and it's a pain. I'm like, yeah, it's good. I'm going to pay you really well because it's going to just be hard work. You're going to sweat more than you've ever sweat. And you're going to have to battle different things. And then when I'm on vacation, I'm really not on vacation because I'm getting phone calls from things going on back here and I'm trying to work with those things and try to make sure that these guys who are mowing my lawns are actually mowing the right lawns sometimes. And then inevitably something's going to break. And it does. And I have to try to work it through like, okay, if this breaks, use this. Or what am I going to do? So I just never feel like I can just let go. And then when I just about feel like I've let go, guess what happens? I got to start preparing to come back to work. And so to me, when I think about vacation, that's what's in my mind with vacation. I just think I'd rather not do it. It's, it's not worth the walk back up the hill just to enjoy a little ride down the thing. I'd rather just enjoy what I got right here. So you kind of get the point. Life, life's kind of like that. Maybe you can relate to some of that. We just live in a broken world. We live in a world that, that doesn't always make sense. We live in a world where 2 plus 2 doesn't always equal 4. You can work really hard and not be a lazy person, and still find yourself in a position of need. You can be a really godly person who is trusting in Jesus for everything, and find yourself suffering a lot. 
and even living a short life. It, it doesn't always make sense. Evil people seem to live long sometimes, where righteous people, godly people, seem to have their lives cut short. Two plus two does not always equal four in this world. Ecclesiastes was written to tell us what we can expect to get out of this life and how to live out our lives in this fallen world. This is a good book. This is a wise book. This is a book that gives us wisdom to help us understand this world that we live in, especially when it doesn't make sense. It was written by a very wise man who looked at this life, struggled with what he saw, and by the grace of God will teach us how to enjoy it. He's going to teach us how to enjoy a life lived under the sun. And not just the enjoyable moments. He's going to help us not just enjoy going down the hill. He's going to help us enjoy the walk back up the hill as well. He's going to teach us how to enjoy vacation. He's going to teach us how to enjoy geometry class, jobs that are boring and monotonous, marriages that are in conflict and struggling and falling apart, kids who are rebelling and going astray, parents who are disappointing you, elections that divide a nation and a church, friends who leave you, and the countless other things in life that are hard and seemingly pointless. This is a great book. This is a great book that's going to help us find joy in all of life. And we're going to learn that the key to living this life with joy in this world is found in fearing God and keeping his commandments. What's interesting about this book is so it's got 12 chapters. And you're going to read through it and it's going to feel sort of discouraging. You're going to relate to it because the author wants us to think about life. He, he doesn't want us to put our head in the sand and sort of pretend like hard things don't exist. No, he wants us to look at those things. He wants us to look at the meaningless things in this world, the difficult things, the things that don't make sense, and find God in those moments. But he waits to almost the very end to help us see it. And here's what he says at the end, verse, chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. These are key verses for us. He says this, the end of the matter. So I've told you everything. Here's the wisdom that God has given me. This is what I've seen. This is what I've done. This is how meaningless all of this is. And here's my conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's the end of the matter. How do we live life in this world? What should we do going down the hill or coming up the hill? Or if we're in geometry class or not? Or if we're in a marriage that's doing really well or a marriage that's really struggling? He's saying this is, this is the key. We fear God. We keep his commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. What we're going to learn today in our text is this. Life lived apart from fearing God will never make sense. Because life lived under the sun is vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. Therefore, we must fear God and keep his commandments. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to give you any points. Usually, I'll give you like 
an organizing sentence that says, and we're going to learn this truth in three neat little points. I'm not going to do that today. So if you're looking for point one, point two, point three, you ain't going to get it. What we're going to do is we're just going to work our way through these 11 verses. Some will be quick and some will be a little bit longer, but, but we want to work through it to, to get to this point. So in verse one, we find a brief introduction. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And so the author of this book, what I'm going to land on this is I'm going to say he's kind of unknown. And what I mean by kind of unknown is that there's debate to whether or not Solomon actually wrote this book or did somebody else gather up all the wisdom sayings that God had given to Solomon, the ones that were going to be included in this book, and then put it together neatly for us. Therefore, somebody else wrote or recorded what Solomon had said. And so where I kind of land and what you're going to hear from this is I'm going to say these are Solomon's words. This is the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. Now, whether he actually penned them out or somebody else gathered them for us, the point still is this is, this is God's word given to us, breathed out into this man. And these are Solomon's words of wisdom for us. God's going to speak to us through these words. And so Solomon was the son of David. He was a very wise man whom God had given extraordinary wisdom to. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a wise man, one of the wisest men to ever live. But here he's referred to as the preacher. And this word, the preacher, what that means is the assembler. And so what's important for us about this is that, is that he's referring to himself kind of like what we're doing here today. He, he's gathering this information, this wisdom to share with God's people in a context like this. So he's proclaiming God's word. He's not so much a seminary professor in a classroom sort of teaching some things. He's a preacher who's assembled people and proclaiming this wisdom to them. So this is a word for all of God's people. So what's the wisdom that Solomon has for us today? Let's jump into the text. Verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now this word vanity is going to be used 38 times throughout this book. 38 times. It's used five times right here to introduce this book to us. So what does this word mean? Well, it can be translated like this. Temporary, meaningless, senseless, incomprehensible, empty, a bubble, a mist, a mere breath. And that's what he has to say about this life. These translations give us a good idea of what he thinks about our lives in this world lived under the sun. It's all temporary. This is all temporary. It's seemingly meaningless. It doesn't make sense. It's incomprehensible. It feels so empty at times, doesn't it? It's like a bubble. It's like a bubble that's created and floats off into the wind only to pop and no longer exist. It's like a mere breath that we quickly breathe in that can't really be contained. You can kind of see it. If it's, if it's cold weather, you kind of exhale and, and that breath goes. And then what happens to it? It just vanishes. And that's the one that most people sort of linger on when he's, we're saying vanity of vanity. He's saying mere breath, mere breath. Everything's just mere breath in this world. It's, it's sort of here and then it's just gone. 
it's, it's all meaningless. It's temporary. It, it doesn't always make sense. It's incomprehensible. You're not going to get your arms around it all the time. You're not going to figure it out. That's the frustrating thing about this book as you go through it, is you're going to relate to it. Because we want to figure it out, don't we? We, we want to live in a world where we can just read this neat little proverb that says, if you get off the couch and you go to work every day, you will have all that you want and all that you need, and your life will be perfect. But the reality is you can get up and you can get off your couch and you can go to work and you can work really hard and you might find yourself in need. This is a great book. Because what we're going to learn in this book is that we ultimately are not in control. That God has created this world to be this way. Yes, we have Proverbs, and they do teach us sort of the pathway to success in this life. It's wise to get off the couch. It's wise to go to work. It's wise to tell the truth. It's wise to do these godly things, but it doesn't guarantee the success you, you might want. And Ecclesiastes helps us understand that because we've been given this book to help us understand, guess what? You're not God. And he's created this world this way where there's a bunch of frustration in it so that we're aware every single day that we are not him and we desperately need him. So all of life, it's all vanity. Douglas O'Donnell writes the following. He says, Put differently, because of God's curse on creation, the consequences of the fall recorded in Genesis are assumed throughout. In all our endeavors, we cannot find much meaning or sustainable joy in this world or present age. It's all vanity, 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 vanity. It's all vanity. Why does Solomon think this way? Why did he declare that? All of life is just a mere breath or vanity. Well, look at verse 3. He says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So what he's doing here is he's asking us, what's the benefit that we receive from all the work that we do and all the things that we do in this life? What's the benefit? Now, the key to understanding this is understanding what he means by under the sun. Under the sun means life lived here on earth in a fallen world under God's curse with all of God's people saved and unsaved. And so it's not in heaven where where God is. We're we're living under the sun. This is just his, his sort of look out at life. Everybody's living life under the sun. We're all seeking to live life together. And this is what I see. Life lived apart from God, it it, it looks like this. And so he's saying, what toil do we have then? Or what benefit do we have? What do we gain from all the work that we do? So he's asking us just to examine this. Think about it. Is there really benefit to us for the way in which we live our life? The work that we put out every day. Do we gain anything special in this world? What do you think? What have you gained in this world for all the work that you have done? All the effort that you've put into building your business or your career or your schooling or whatever it may be. What, what has this world really given you back? In these next few verses, Solomon goes on to explain what he sees and why he declared everything to be vanity. Verse 4, he says, A generation goes and a generation comes. 
but the earth remains forever. So we kind of live in this endless cycle of people being born into this world, living out their lives, and then dying only to be replaced by the next generation of people. The only constant thing that he can see is that when one generation comes, another takes its place, but the, the earth, it just remains. It just remains here for people to be born into this world and to continue to work. And this cycle goes on and on and on, and it's true. So what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? His answer would be nothing. We, we all end up with a loss at the end. Christian and non-Christian alike end up living or leaving everything that they've worked for in this world behind. You've heard this before. You can't take anything with you, can you? Can't. So to illustrate this, he goes on and he, and he shares a few things. Verse 5, he says, The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The sun never gets anywhere from his perspective. It never does anything new. It rises, it sets, and it does it over and over again, and it's been doing that every day. The wind, it's very similar. He says the wind blows, verse 6, to the south, and it goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit, the wind returns. So the wind appears to be doing the same thing. What's it really accomplishing? It looks like it's accomplishing something. It's going to the south, comes around from the north, and it just keeps doing that again and again, but it's really just doing the same thing. It ends up right back where it started. And very similar to the sun and the wind are the streams here on earth. Verse 7, he says, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. I remember learning about this in school, thinking about it. So you have, you have rivers that flow out to the sea, to lakes, ultimately to the ocean in some way. And, and you, just, you just wonder and you think, okay, well, what's really happening? Why is something not overflowing? That, that's Solomon. That's his perspective, his wisdom in which he's thinking through this. How does the Jordan River empty itself into the Dead Sea, which has no rivers flowing out of it, but yet it never overflows and there's always this river flowing into it. So again, this is is wisdom. Solomon's looking at life and he's thinking about it and he's trying to draw a conclusion that's wise. Now we know some science that there's this thing called evaporation and stuff like that going on and and there's a reason behind it, but, but what he's getting at here is if you just look at life, it's real cyclical. There's a lot of appearances that that these things are busy doing something, but they just end up right back in the same place. So a generation comes, and it thinks it's special, and it's going to leave its mark on this world, but in the end it dies, and it's just replaced by another generation that comes into the world that thinks the same thing, and it tries to accomplish the same stuff, and it just keeps going and going and going. That's what he sees. Jerome said it like this. What is more a vanity of vanities than the fact that the earth endures, although it was made for the benefit of man, while man himself, the master of the earth, suddenly crumbles into dust. What does man gain by all his toil? Solomon would say nothing. It doesn't appear like we actually gain a lot. He goes on to say the following, verse 8, all things are full of weariness. 
A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Life is just full of weary repetition under the sun. Life apart from God is, I think, described really well right there in verse 8. It's, it's just, it's wearisome. It's pointless. It's vanity of vanities. It's not fully satisfying. It's like going sledding. You get a little bit of enjoyment, and then once you get to the bottom, you're like, woo! And you look back up, and you're like, do I really have to do that? Do I really have to do that? I don't know how many more times I can do that. I mean, it was fun, but, but do I really have to keep climbing back up? That's what he's getting at here. Life is it's just wearisome. Just like the sun. We rise, we go to work, spend some time with family, friends, scroll through our phones, grab a bite to eat, fold some laundry, clean up the house, and then go to bed only to wake up, guess what? To do it again. Anybody ever see Groundhog's Day? That's what we do every day. We mix in a vacation, we mix in a day off, an anniversary in some ways, but but just ask somebody who's lived life long enough. It's just a lot of monotonous repetition. But for the most part, you do the same thing. When I think about what I've been doing for the last 20 years, and if you could follow me around, I'm a pretty routine guy. And I pretty much do the same thing every Monday through Sunday. I know what I'm doing, and I like these routines. I'm assuming your life's probably like what I just described. You wake up, you go to bed, and you do a version of the same thing every single day. Solomon's encouraging us to think about this because it's wearisome sometimes. And if we're honest, it's, it's wearisome a lot, especially if we think about it more. And I think there's probably some of us that like to think about it more, and it just ends up being discouraging because it's like, what's the point? I got to do this every day? For how long? And then I begin to pray prayers like, Lord, please just come. I do. Like, I'm not doing that because I'm discouraged. I'm just doing it because, like, I would much rather be above the sun in heaven, living life, than under the sun. Or maybe there's not as much monotonous, and there's not a sinful heart that gets to interpret all this stuff. But it's wearisome. What are we really trying to accomplish each day? What's the point of all this work? Are we trying to find satisfaction in the things that we're not meant to be fully satisfied in? Are we trying to build a life for ourselves under the sun, apart from God? That, that's what he's getting at here. Is that what you're pursuing? Because if you are, guess what? You'll never be satisfied in those things. Never will you be satisfied in those things. You'll never fully be satisfied in a marriage that doesn't recognize God. You'll never be fully satisfied parenting your kids without understanding that you ultimately are called to love God above your kids. You'll never find full satisfaction in anything in this world. And Solomon goes on to tell us that nothing in this world is new. Verse 9, he says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there a thing in which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. He's not saying that nothing new will ever be created because this right here wasn't created when I was born. We've experienced a lot of advances and all of these things. But what he's getting at ultimately, again, big picture, there's nothing new. 
that there really isn't anything new under the sun. There may be new versions of old things, but, but it's not new. There, there really is nothing new under the sun. And not only is there nothing new, but Solomon also tells us that all will be forgotten. Listen to this, verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You have asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it again. Does anybody in here know the names of their great-great-grandparents? You've probably done it because you did a little research. Okay, so we have a couple. How'd you figure it out? Your grandmother. Okay, so, so we have two people in this church that know the names of their great-great-grandparents. Now, how many people in here think your great-great-grandparents are probably pretty important to your life? All of us. Like, if they didn't exist, you wouldn't be here. But you can't even tell me their names. And what Solomon is saying, that, that's going to happen to all of us. That's how important you are to this world. You're so important that your great-great-grandkids will not even know your name. You will be forgotten. You will not be remembered at all. When, how many people know who Garrett Watkins is? Okay, just notice this. Listen, not everybody in here does. And so Garrett used to be an elder in our church a year and a half ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And when he was leaving to go to another Sovereign Grace church, and we were walking through this, and he was trying to pretend like he was a big deal, and I had to tell him over and over again, I said, Garrett, we love you. You are a big deal, but you're not as important as you think you are. And I wasn't saying that to be mean, because I'd say the same thing about myself. If I left tomorrow and never came back here, you, you would soon forget me, just like we will soon forget you because you're not that big of a deal. And so sure enough, a couple months after Garrett left, we were doing a new members class, and I brought up his name because I thought everybody would remember him, and there was somebody in our class that didn't even know who he was. And I took great delight in calling him and letting him know, you're not a big deal. It's weird, isn't it? The church just continues to go on. My dad worked at a place for 47 years. He was a welder. He retired, and guess what happened to that place the day after he retired? Somebody filled a spot, and it just kept going. It's still there today. And most of those people probably don't even know who he is. And Solomon's just getting to this fact is you, you need to understand that about your life. You're not as important as you think you are. You're not as big of a deal as you think you are. You will soon be forgotten. Because you're not the most important person in this world. See, Solomon wants us to think about this life. Not to discourage us. Not to discourage us at all. The point of all of this is to help us understand we are not God. But yet we're called to live in this world under the sun for the glory of God. And we can actually find joy in being forgotten. We can actually find joy in getting up every day doing the same thing over and over and over again, thinking it's meaningless, and most of it probably is meaningless, not because we're going to find some great reward in it, but because of God. I'm going to close with these words again. Verse chapter 12, he says this, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
So this world is going to forget everything, right? Don't even remember your great-great-grandpa. But God will never forget anything. Everything. He says everything is going to be brought into judgment. Don't, don't let that scare you. We have, we have a great Savior in Jesus who died for us. But what brings meaning to getting up and doing the same thing over and over again? Is, is we don't work as unto the people in this world, or even to your kids. We work as unto the Lord. Your kids may forget you, and they, they probably don't even recognize half the stuff you do. But the Lord never forgets any of it. All of it's going to be brought up into judgment. And He's going to reward you for your faithfulness. So we work. We work as unto the Lord. We, we do meaningless things and things that are like mere breath because it ultimately honors the Lord. And that's good news. Life under the sun may be vanity, but life under the sun, Jesus Christ, is not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord, that you would give us just this wisdom as we work our way through this book, that Lord, we would find joy in climbing back up a hill just to go back down it. We'd find joy in, in doing laundry again or putting the dishes away again or digging a hole again or going to work again or doing geometry again. And, Lord, we'd find joy ultimately knowing that, Lord, we do all of this for you and for your glory. And we trust you to work out the details when life doesn't make sense. When two plus two doesn't always equal four, Lord, we, we know Lord, that you've called us to walk by faith and not by sight. And so give us that faith, Lord, to walk that way, we pray this week. In Jesus' name, amen.